This is the Budweiser Reds Hot Stove League, presented by United Dairy Farmers. The Reds are on the radio. The Hot Stove League is brought to you by the Holy Grail Banks Tavern and Grill, Norcom, your audiovisual information technology solutions provider, nor-com.com, GTM Food Group, let's create great dishes together, Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and by MSA Design, design, create, innovate. The Reds Hot Stove League is also brought to you by CBTS, consult, build, transform, support, CBTS.com, Kelsey Chevrolet, from our family to yours, KelseyChev.com, RNL Carriers, your domestic LTL and offshore shipping provider, rlc.com backslash offshore today. And by United Dairy Farmers, UDF now makes donuts in our new family bakery from our own recipes. The Reds are on the radio. Now the Reds Hot Stove League on 700 WLW, the home of the Reds. Welcome into the Reds Hot Stove League, and we have a lot of exciting things to talk about today. With Tom Brenneman, I'm Tommy Thrall, and we have a loaded show. We will visit with Reds President of Baseball Operations, Dick Williams, here at the start of the show. Coming up in the second half, Hall of Famer, Reds Hall of Famer, greatest catcher of all time, Johnny Bench, will be on the show as well. So we've got a lot to get to, and uh, it's certainly going to be a fun show, of course, by now, I, I certainly assume that you have seen the announcement that baseball is back. End of July, we will get baseball up and running again, and uh, the teams will report for their respective training camps in their respective cities on July 1st. So a lot to get to, and uh, certainly plenty to talk about, and let's welcome in now uh, Reds President of Baseball Operations, Dick Williams. And uh, Dick, boy, this, is, this has got to be a really exciting time uh, for you, uh, for the entire Reds organization, I know this was a, a season that we were all very excited about. Uh, you've worked hard to put this team together, you and your staff, and uh, Nick Crawl and, and your entire operate baseball operations department. And now we're finally going to get to see it. Hey, Tom, Tommy, welcome uh, back to all of us. We are thrilled. We're uh, excited to get this thing going. Feels like the world's longest rain delay, and they've pulled the tarp. <laughs> Let's get out there. You know, Dick, I don't want to get into everything that went on negotiations. That's all old news now. Uh, I'd like to ask you some very specific questions that that, that a lot of people have asked Tommy and me uh, while we've been doing this show. Let's start with some of the rule changes. Are there any of those rules that you like or you think are advantageous for the Reds now in a 60-game schedule? And are there any of those rules that you don't like? that are going to be implemented that could be, you know, a disadvantage to the team? Uh, that's a great question. You know, we try to look at all those uh, changes as um, opportunities for us to, you know, to, to do better. I think a few of them are, are very well set up to help our team the way the roster was constructed. For example, the, the addition of the designated hitter for this season, given the offensive firepower that we've got, given that we had a, a plethora of uh, position players, we've got a really good mix of right-handed and left-handed hitters. Um, I think the opportunity to get another bat in the lineup um, is an advantage to us because the quality of our hitters, um, those first few players that would otherwise be on the bench, um, you know, or look better than, than uh, some of the, the competition. So I think that was a big one in our favor. Um, you know, the 10th tenth, the tenth inning rule with the starting with a runner yep. on second base, um, I don't necessarily see that as a strong advantage one way or another, but I do see it as a, um, 
you know, uh, something that will bring out the best strategies uh, from different teams. Uh, and I think it will be really interesting to see how people attack it. We've, we've been able to observe it in the minor leagues the last couple mm-hmm. of years. And I've loved it. Uh, I love, I've loved what it's done for the game. I've loved the way it's brought things to a resolution quicker. Um, you know, and, and in a shortened season like this where we're, we're asking a lot of the players um, physically that they're not used to doing, I think it's an important measure to protect their safety. But I also think it'll be really exciting just to see how we all like it, how the fans react to it. You, you talked about the roster and the way that's going to be set up, uh, and and you're going to basically have um, 60 guys available, uh, 30, uh, I think my understanding is that it looks like it'll be 30 to start the season. But, but does that affect how you use or how you will uh, handle the pitching rotation? Do you see anything different with that, or, or – uh, is is that going to be something that you you guys have used in the past? Just stick with the normal five man rotation. I I think it's something we're going to talk a lot about over the course of spring training when we see how the guys are performing. Um, because of the shortened season, we all think there's an opportunity here to get creative, to get get aggressive with the use of pitching. Um, you've seen that DJ and and David are pretty open minded. We've got a group of pitchers um you know kind of headlined by trevor that aren't afraid to think outside the box um i think if they come in physically prepared uh you know we're going to play every game with a heightened sense of urgency um and i think that the the temptation will be there to use guys more aggressively and use them in non-traditional ways maybe maybe blur the lines even further between starting pitching and bullpen um you've only got 60 games and you got to win them so you're going to really go into it wanting to get your best uh, players uh, on both sides of the ball into the game as much as possible. And the depth of our roster, I think, will, will really lend itself well to that. You talk about the roster a little bit. I, I, I kind of want to follow up on that. Uh, with the 60 players, did, have you already earmarked the guys that you envision being a part of that? Uh, is that something – that, that you kind of felt like was going to be the case a ways out so you're able to prepare for that? Or is that something where you guys are kind of really hunkering down now to try to figure out who those guys are going to be? No, we're, we're pretty prepared. We've, we've, we've had the benefit of MLB giving us guidance along the way. There was a time when they thought it would be 50. They expanded that to 60 just to give the teams more uh, comfort that the backup would be there if they started to suffer from injuries or um, you know, if there was an outbreak of the virus or anything like that. So we've had the number 60 circled for a little while. We've got a very good idea of, of who those players are going to be, that the uh, coaches or staff is communicating with those guys right now. I mean, we got to have them here next week. So we're starting to um, uh, extend those invitations. We'll, we'll announce the full list uh, as soon as possible. It'll be, you know, very familiar names to those that followed us in spring training. There aren't going to be a lot of – Big surprises. Um, I think some teams are going to take the approach of uh, injecting more of the young prospecty type uh, players into that group, um, especially the teams that aren't, um, as, you know, expected to contend as much this year and maybe focused a little bit more on long-term development. Um, there's a possibility we could sneak a few young guys in there. Um, beyond the group that we had, but our focus is on winning this year, and we want guys on that 60-man that, that we feel confident can help us in the big leagues. We don't want to be carrying a bunch of prospects 
Um, and, and if they're not ready, you know, you always risk having to take them back off the roster uh, later uh, to make room for someone. So we're going to be um, uh, very thoughtful about how we approach that. Um, but uh, we liked a lot of the non-roster guys we had in spring training. A bunch of them were playing well. Uh, Rule 5 guy, Mark Payton. So we, we mm-hmm. got, we'll have a, a very interesting group to pick from in camp, and we'll be able to spread them out across a couple sites and get them all a lot of work. Hey, uh, you know, Dick, and uh, at the at the end of uh, well, when 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 spring training came to an end, uh, two very important parts of this team, and Eugenio Suarez and Nick Senzel, were clearly not at full strength. Can you bring us uh, up to date on where all those guys are? Are they full bore, ready to go, hit the ground running, spring training next week? We we believe so. We're obviously talking to those guys frequently. We're monitoring their workloads um nick has stayed in the goodyear area so we're able to get eyes on him quite frequently uh gino's down in miami um we talked to him we talked to the guys he's working out with um both feel like they are getting full um game-like reps um and uh are, are without limitations uh you never really know until you step between the lines you know in game conditions um, but but all all signs are very positive. I think the downtime really helped us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it probably helped. Uh, we we were having a relatively healthy spring, um, so we we felt like we were in pretty good shape. Those were the guys we were worried about getting back, and now we know we'll have them. Um, you know, other teams uh, it probably were advantaged as well by the by the delay. But uh, you know, I, I can't think of anybody on the roster right now that is coming in uh, with known limitations. We're visiting with Reds President of Baseball Operations, Dick Williams. Dick, you have time to stick around for another segment? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to. All right, sounds good. We'll visit more with uh, Dick Williams coming up in just a bit. The Reds Community Fund is running the first of two split-the-pot jackpots to benefit the Urban League of Greater Southwestern Ohio. One lucky fan will win 50% of the net proceeds from each jackpot. Tickets are available at reds5050.com. Must be 18 years or older and in the state of Ohio to purchase. More with Dick Williams coming up. This is the Reds Hot Stove League presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back into the Reds Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. New episodes of the Gym Day podcast, presented by Kroger, and behind the mic with Tom Brenneman, presented by PNC, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Reds.com slash podcast. Subscribe today. We're visiting with Reds President of Baseball Operations, Dick Williams. And uh, Dick, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, this team and and the fact that it is a, a shortened schedule. It, it, it almost, you kind of touched on it, it's going to feel a lot more like a sprint than the normal marathon season. Uh, I feel like this team, because I've, I've been getting a lot of questions, and Tom kind of alluded to, to questions that we get, so now we can ask you, uh, a much more knowledgeable individual on this type of stuff. Um, it, it seems to me like this Reds team would be set up to handle that, given the depth in the rotation and this bullpen, which seemed to get a little tired as the season kind of went along last year. Well, that's a good point. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, we got a group of players, veteran players that know what they need to do in a situation like this. And, uh, you know, they're going to have a, a lot of fun um, figuring this out. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're kind of lucky to go through this experience. Not many, not many uh, 
uh, staff members and players, uh, you know, get to get to go through something this unique where you have all these rules changes. And, um, you know, I think the veteran uh, group that we have is going to be able to adapt really well uh, to that. It's going to experience is going to serve them well. You could argue that the older guys, um, you know, we are, our average age is probably up from where it's been the last few years and, and could benefit more from the shorter schedule and be able to, you know, uh, uh, go 110%, you know, knowing that it's a, that it's a shorter schedule and not having to pace themselves. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I think there are, there are definitely some reasons why it, it might work. Uh, you know, over and above all of that, I think the culture that the, the staff has, has created and the camaraderie that I was seeing in spring training and, um, is going to serve these guys well whatever length of season we have. I, I really saw a team pulling together. A uh, very competitive group um, that believes in each other uh, and, and was pushing each other. Uh, and if they take that um, attitude back into the, the spring training and, and regular season, what we were seeing before, I, I, I think they're going to be hard to stop. Um, everything I've heard so far, you know, I've, I've only uh, conversed with a couple of players uh, since we got the good news about the resumption. Um, but David's talked to just about all of them now, if not all. And, uh, you know the, the the mindset, the attitude seem to be great. These guys turn the page. They are they are ready to rock and roll. Dick, I, I don't know if this is a stupid question or not. Maybe it is, but but I'm curious because again, people ask this question, and, and when you look at the way that the NFL is talking, and I know right now it's only talk, and college football's talking, but it's only talk. Is it completely ruled out that fans? will not have a chance to come down and watch the team in person, at least here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Do you think there's any chance of that happening? I, I, I do. I do. Um, you know, obviously it's not up to me, and it's, it's uh, right. dependent on a lot of factors going the right way. But I think the approach is, and it's the right one, is, um, you know, we got to take it day by day. And my understanding is MLB is not going to pass down a decree from above that there will or won't be fans. I think they recognize that the situations may be very different from market to market. And my understanding is they're going to leave the door open um, to to the state and local governments to sort of decide in conjunction with the teams whether conditions get to a point where they could allow fans. And and wouldn't that be awesome if if they could? It'd be great. Yeah. We all love this game, but it's it's all it's for the fans, and it's all about the fans. And they're going to get to see something special this year, uh, whether it's in person or not. But if we got to a point later in the summer where where that could happen, I, I know Phil and Bob and, and that, that side of the business would do whatever they could to, to you know to get people in there. But I think it's really too early to start uh, planning for that or promising well, that. Yeah. But doors open. I mean, I think that was your question. Well, I mean, I, yeah, because I haven't read anything where, like you said, and you, you clearly pointed this out, that it doesn't sound like it's going to be, you know, across the board, every single place that MLB is going to say it. One more thing I wanted to ask you about before we let you get out of here, uh, and thanks for the time today. When it comes to, in this day and age of a lot of messaging, you know, with, with, with staff and with players and with all that kind of thing, um, everybody wants to get off to a good start. And, and obviously it's, it's, it's magnified, you know, a hundredfold now in a 50 game schedule, but is the messaging now from David, maybe a little bit different with his players than it would have been under a normal schedule. I think it is uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think the theme of camp is going to be 
to create game-like situations as soon as possible and, and create uh, you know, competitive situations, get those juices flowing as quickly as possible. We've got to feel like we're in the season already when that gate opens. And knowing that there's only 60 games uh, at stake um, makes each one uh, you know, much more sure. important. And so I think I, I really believe that, that the, the tone of camp um, will accelerate very quickly into um, creating competitive game-like uh, situations because that's the one thing these guys haven't been able to do at home on their own. Are you going to have any How spring got- training games against other teams? Yeah, great question and something that's, uh, that we're going to talk about. Um, MLB has said if you're going to play somebody else, uh, it's, it's only going to happen in the last couple days of spring training. Okay. Um, I think for most teams, you know, they may rule it out because of the health risks and the travel associated. And if you can really only get a couple of games, you know, it may not uh, make it worthwhile to do. But we are going to consider it. We are going to look into it. I think our focus will be on setting up inter-squad inter- games. We'll have plenty of players to do that. Um, but if, if the opportunity presents itself at the end of, at the end of I guess, summer training, preseason training, I, I want to call it spring training, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that we're going to, you know, we should be, maybe we can sneak in an opponent or two, maybe uh, whoever we're going to open with, you know, you might be able to get a game or two that way, but, but to be determined. Uh, reading, it sounds like you're going to use two different sites, Great American Ballpark and another site. How are you going to break that up, and, and how do you envision this whole camp coming together and, and shaping up? Well, we'll probably start with about somewhere between 30 and 40 players at Great American, uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 players at our second site, um, uh, which we're planning on is at Prasco up in, in Mason. And if that's the case, I do think MLB's given us the leeway to have everybody together under one roof if, if, if that's best for us. But we really wanted space guys out, give them as many at-bats as we could. So we'll, we'll primarily stick to the two-site plan. But uh, when we have things like scrimmages and games and depending on the work schedule, um, we do have the freedom for players to go between the two sites. Um, both will be... Uh, held to the highest uh, standards of the health and protocols document. So, um, you know, the, the players and the staff that are inside that bubble will be able to go back and forth. All right, one word Excellent. answer, uh, Dick, uh, real quick. Uh, how soon do you think you get a schedule? Uh, we hope it's in a couple of days. There's a draft. Okay. It's over to the union, 40 games against the NL Central, 20 against the AL Central, and we'll know the dates and times here, we hope, in a few days. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. That is Red's my 14th, my 14th anniversary tonight. Oh, happy anniversary. congratulations. Hell, hell, happy hello. anniversary, indeed. Absolutely. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that is to send her some cherry out or something. He's headed for St. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so, so much. That Dick. Yeah, you too. Dick Williams, Red, Red's president of baseball operations. We're back with Johnny Bench after this in the Red's Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Bank. Budweiser. EDF on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back into the Reds Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. And we are pleased to welcome in the GOAT, Johnny Bench. And today is the Johnny Bench Awards Ceremony. And, Johnny, this has to be a pretty exciting day for you every year. Well, it really is. You know, there's so much effort goes into really selecting these kids. And I have to thank my son, Bobby, for all the due diligence. I mean, we have a list of about five candidates per award, 
and we follow certain information like the state awards, statistic analysis, percentage of time catching. Now, that's just not the best baseball player that catches because I probably wouldn't have won my award in Oklahoma if I had been had there, had there been an award because I pitched most of the time. <laughs> School commitments, coaches' notes, and also, you know, factors like summer, travel teams, all the things. So, in, in the end, it is determined by who we feel is the best overall uh, catcher to represent this name and, and the program going forward. Uh, some, some great uh, candidates already this year. I mean, you look at the past winners, too. I mean, we're, we're talking about Buster Posey. Uh, Kurt Suzuki's won this award. So many others. So, so this is obviously a very prestigious award. Let's start at the, the top. And uh, Patrick Bailey is a catcher out of NC State, a first-round pick of the Giants. Uh, you've seen this guy a little bit. Sounds like somebody that has a pretty bright future. He really, really does. I mean, the Giants thought so, too. So this was done, but we were basically had this selection done before the draft. So as it turns out, he was the number 13 overall uh, selection by the Giants, which is interesting because they chose a catcher last year. And so Buster must be moving to first base, although we got Brandon Belt. But what a great kid. He wears number five. That's right. He wears number five, folks. He, uh, he was the ACC freshman of the year, D1 baseball first-team freshman All-American, first-team All-CC U.S. baseball collegiate, played on the uh, USA baseball 18 and unders in 2016. So, He's got their credential, and I had a chance to talk with him, a wonderful kid, and uh, we're really proud and hope for his future. And I think, Tommy, there's like, well, I can't give you the exact number, but at one time I know we had 15 catchers in the major leagues that had won the award. Wow. that's And uh, it's really, it really is impressive. You go to Castro, you go to Ionetta, you go to the Holiday, you go to so many kids and, uh, you know, Yasmani Grandel. So we've had representation, and so I'm really proud that Patrick won the award this year. Catching seems like it's the type of position that's always evolving. Uh, well, the game of baseball is is constantly evolving. You, you watch you watch a game now, and you watch pitchers; they look different than they looked back in the the you know sixties, seventies, eighties, and in your day. So so the game is constantly different. How, how much different does catching look now compared to when you played? <laughs> I'm sorry, I was laughing during that evolving. You know, I, I wrote a book because all the all people would ask me, said, my son wants to be a catcher, my daughter wants to be a catcher, what do I tell them? And I said, catch every ball. <laughs> you know, this isn't rocket science, folks. Right. But then I go watch some of these kids, and they have these catching camps, and they learn the block, and they learn so many skills. I mean, they learn it early, and they and they evolve into it. And uh, But it's still, you know, we all squat different. If you squat it down, your feet might be pointed out, corner, out to the right, both of them, out to the left and right. You, some people point straight. Some people point in. That's just the way your body is. So you squat according to what you are. And then you learn to catch everything that's thrown to you. The one thing, obviously, is blocking balls. I, I was with Lance Parrish just uh, a week or so ago, and Lance was talking about his uh, former manager, uh, Moss, and uh, he used to take him in the, uh, in the batting cage and he would shoot the gun, the pitching machine. He would shoot them in the dirt and without a glove. And it's like, and he's bragging about how great I was. You know, Lance says, you were so good at blocking balls. I said, I've never touched my toes in my life. I have no flexibility. I backhanded balls. I one-handed them. And so, and, but it was, it was the thought of what they're doing. So they've got, and now they're talking about framing. You know, before, if we tried to yank the ball back into the strike zone, man, 
that umpire would be in your ear so hard you couldn't believe it. You do that again and you're out of here. Don't you show me up. Oh, I heard that a few times. Oh, boy. So, framing is catching the ball with your glove over the plate with the ball caught in your web. The inside, you work on it and everything else. But evolving, well, uh, they went through the catcher's helmet or the, the new helmet, the hockey helmet. That's sort of going away because for some reason, you know, guys are having concussions with it. Uh, it was back in 1966 that I started wearing the helmet. Um, I had a little bit of a temper, and I would throw the ball, throw my helmet down after I made it out, and it would crack on the concrete floor that we had in those dugouts. Ooh, and I had to buy a new helmet. It was $35, and I'm making 550 So we really didn't want to go through all that. So <laughs> I thought, well, let me uh, – and so when I put it on, they actually the mask fit better. When the foul balls hit, your, you know, hit the mask, it didn't hurt nearly as much. So to say it evolved – you know, I don't see so many space savers, and of course, I don't watch for the space savers as much. These guys are so strong; they really don't need them. Their legs are like that. But I don't know if it's evolved as much as just, you know, these kids are such great athletes. That's the one thing that has evolved: is these kids are dedicated to catching. They're in great shape. They're unbelievable, and they practice the right skills of the transfer and the footwork. And that's where you become a great catcher. Johnny Bench is our guest. Of course, the awards ceremony for the Johnny Bench Awards is tonight. It is a virtual event this time around. So how much does that change things? And, and how much uh, different will it look this year? You know, it's going to be interesting, Tommy. I, what I really like to think is I can see all of them right in front of me. You know, and it's not like you're looking down the way and seeing responses and the kids will be there and hopefully their families will be in the background like, you know, they've been drafted and all the people are cheering. I hope it's something like that. I hope we have just a festive thing. The things that we, you know, that, that we miss is our great sponsors who have been with us in the past year and who give. And so as a result, the Johnny Bench Scholarship, the Reds Community Fund, well, we won't have the money to really utilize and, and, and have. But let's face it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new game, and we need to try to do it. And I can't thank the Reds for what they've done, I'm telling you. The whole staff is just incredible. They have been on top of this thing. I can't mention everybody's name, but, I mean, you know, it because they, everybody's had a hand in it. I, and Phil Castellani's done a great job of supporting us and everything. Charlie, of course, and Karen and Sarah and Alex. And, you know, they're the ones that are putting, making this happen. And our sponsors hopefully will be able to come back next year and uh, hopefully we'll be, we'll be past all of this. But I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see these kids. I can see them up close. I can see their impression, expressions. You know, when you're sitting on the dais and you're not really seeing them, here's a chance to be up close and personal with them. So we're going to make a good thing out of this. Outstanding. Well, uh, a lot of very deserving players. I, I want to ask you one more question about this, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about your playing days too. Um, but w- this whole process, you, you touched on a little bit, but this is a big process to really – select deserving athletes for this award uh it is it's the most prestigious catching award out there for amateur sports uh so what's this process like you you talked a little bit about getting information on these guys i can't imagine it's easy to to pick winners for this well you know there i'm surprised that a lot of scouts and i'm sure most a lot of baseball teams are starting to use these things because you can go through the the what they call the, base, the prep baseball report, max preps, and perfect games. These kids are really trying out. They're, they're showing what they've got to a lot of college and professionals, and they're doing all these things. 
I got to watch videos of them swing. I got to watch videos of these or our young catchers, and I got to see them hitting. And I actually, when I called them, I actually was critiquing a little bit of what they were trying to achieve. You know, okay, you're closing your shoulders way too much. You're turning too long and too far. And as a result, it's taking longer for you to get rid of the ball. You need, need to be stepping a little bit straighter when you're throwing it, and you need to throw right through the pitcher's head because that's, that's like bowling. You have an arrow to bowl over. Well, that's your target. And you learn to throw the height you need to over that mound and over that pitcher to get the ball to settle in. So there's just there's some little things that you go, but the the videos are incredible help. They are really incredible help as to what we're trying to see and judge. And as a result, we've we've made some great selections. We've been talking with Johnny Bench about the Johnny Bench Award, and uh, of course, the winners announced today. And uh, we'll talk more. With Johnny Bench coming up, we'll get into the baseball stuff. A lot going on in the world of baseball and a little bit about his career as well. That's coming up. This is the Reds Hot Stove League presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back to the Reds Hot Stove League presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. I'm Tommy Throth visiting with Johnny Bench. And uh, it, Johnny, I, I, I sit here and we talked – back in the winter a little bit, and I don't think I had a chance to pick your brain about this, but you had a chance to catch some great, I mean great pitchers. Uh, is there somebody that stands out to you that when you look back on your career, you kind of think back fondly and, and, and go, man, they were a lot of fun to catch. And I'm sure there's some others where you, you showed up to the ballpark and thought, I am really going to have to work hard today. I've got my work cut out for it. Who, who, who are some of those guys that really stand out to you? Oh, it's a long list. It really is. I mean, you know, start back with Jim Maloney and a guy like Milt Pappas. And I remember when Milt was, I, ca- I got called up at the end of 67 and Milt was pitching and he gave up like a single, a double, a double, a single, a double. And, and Dave Bristol came out to the mound. And, and when I got there, Dave looked at me and said, how's he, how's he throwing? And Milt said, how would he know? He hadn't caught one yet. <laughs> so there are a lot of different people and everything. And, Jim Maloney was as good a right-hander as ever been in the game of baseball. No question. Not even a question. And then there was Jim Merritt, who was the left-hander, won 20 games. Science and footwork was what he always said. And he would lollygag that cat, that curveball up there and spart a little fastball and do a little changeup. Then there were guys like Wayne Granger and Ted Abernathy and Clay Carroll and Pedro Rebron. And then there was some, one of my all-time favorites, of course, my old roommate. We came up together uh, in uh, – well, we actually got together – when we were 18 years old and we were in the instructional league down in Clearwater, we were playing uh, half of our team was with the Astros after the Reds and Gary was just, I mean, it was such a pleasure. Don Gullett, my goodness gracious. Oh my gosh. What a, what an athlete, what a pitcher. And of course he was the, just the opposite antithesis of Gary Nolan. Cause I would say with Gary, I mean, with Don, we probably threw out 99.9% of the runners. I don't know if anybody ever stole on us. With Gary, I remember he had that slow kick and that slow release, and I remember that somebody said there was a question on a Tourette's caravan to Sparky one time. Uh, okay, Sparky, uh, Lou Brock's on first. Gary Nolan's pitching. Lou steals. What do we tell Johnny? What do you tell Johnny? He said, throw it to short and head him off because that's all the chance you had of getting Lou Brock. But, you know, Gary, but the – you know, as good a stuff as I've ever seen was Wayne Simpson. I mean, just, just unbelievable. I mean, he, 
He had a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, a curveball that stopped, and uh, he tremendous athlete. Then, you know, we had Raleigh Eastwick. We had Will McEnany. We had some of the great relievers, and Freddie Norman was such a great guy. And the one guy, you know, let's face it, Jack Billingham was incredible. He won 19 games twice for us. And he was one of those guys, you know, some pitchers don't talk when they come in the dugout. The way they want to be left alone. You know, he'd come in after the first inning and Jack would say, we haven't scored yet. We haven't even been to bat. You know, five is five is six or seven, seven, seven is heaven, eight will skate, nine will win. You know, he wanted eight or nine runs and he wasn't afraid. So, you know, there's pitchers out there that have great low ERAs, but there's also guys that when you give them enough runs, they win. And, of course, Tom Seaver came over, uh, unbelievable, and we've had some great young arms there, and I'm, and I'm probably missing some and everything else because, you know, we had Pat Zachary. We had guys that, you know, that pitched in the World Series that did unbelievably. So uh, I was blessed. I had, I had great arms. I had good quality people, and we really worked well together. And that's part of the psychology of catching is understanding your pitchers and getting the best out of them because – the number one rule in catching, number one reason you're out there is to call a good game and get your pitcher a win and also the team. Well, I think the psychology of it is something that oftentimes gets overlooked. You, you often think about coaches having to deal with different personalities of all the players, but but as a catcher, I mean, that there's, there's nothing in baseball quite like the relationship between uh, a catcher and a pitching staff. And, and you've got to be able to, to determine how to handle – the pitchers, as much as a coach, a manager has to learn how to handle the temperaments of the players on his team the same, right? Well, it's, it's a psychological thing. First of all, there are three types of pitchers. I'm, I'm assuming, uh, I'll, I'll just say, Pythagoras says there are three types of people. There are those who choose to be in the arena and go for the gold. There are those who choose to sit in the arena and watch those who go for the gold. And there are those who choose to sell trinkets to those who sit in the arena and watch to go for the gold. So you want the first guy you have to go out and introduce yourself to. Hi, I'm Johnny. I'm your catcher. We're in Cincinnati or we're in Detroit, wherever you're going. So you have to really get them. You understand that. And they just needed to be led by the, you know, by the leash and whatever and, and really coddled a lot. The next guy is the mechanic guy. You've got to work on, you know, his mechanics. Every one of them, you have to know mechanics, but sometimes you just put your hand back to stay back, take a breath. I would go out and clean out the batter's box just to make them stop for a little bit. And then there's the guys that sometimes you had to had to jump in their jump in their uh, in their cleats, put the cleats on them, and and just tell them you can do this. Get your act together. We got to get this guy. And you know, I'd walk out sometimes and say, "Hey, we're going to walk this guy probably, but I don't want a pitch that'll beat us. I want you to just go along with my with with what I'm thinking here." And there were. You know, you'd be after the game, the reporter would come out and said, he didn't have very good control today. He walked four. And I said, I walked three <laughs> because I couldn't get that guy out hitting. I could get the guy in the on deck. Sir. Right. Uh, there was there's a ways of handling certain things. And there was a, 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 a sort of a confidence thing that you had to give them every time they were out there that your whole role was to make them a winner. Well, it's great stuff. Always, always a pleasure to talk with you. Unfortunately, we've got time constraints and, and we're out of time. But uh, again, g- great work on the Johnny Bench Awards. I, I know that's something that brings you a lot of joy and uh, a lot of worthy recipients again this year. But thanks so much. Appreciate the time. And, and we'll talk to you again down the line.
Yes, sir. Tell TB hi. Will right. do. All right. Thanks so much. That is Johnny Bench. It's the Reds Hot Stove League presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back to the Reds Hot Stove League presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. And, uh, Tom, I, I think I speak for all of us, certainly ready to get back to work and watch some baseball. Can't wait, Tommy. I mean, uh, you know, we can sit around and talk for days about a 60-game schedule. And, you know, an advantage here, advantage here. The bottom line is we're finally going to be able to watch uh, what looks to be a really good, really, really good Cincinnati Reds team here in 2020. I can't wait to watch them on the field. No question. Read something today on MLB.com. Baseball is better when the Reds are good. Couldn't agree yep. more, and hopefully that will be the case this year. Tom, thanks so much. Always enjoyed it. All right, my man. Have a great day. You too, Tom Brenneman, uh, Dick Williams, Johnny Bench. I'm Tommy Thrall. Also, thanks to Dave Keaton. Good night. We'll talk to you again next week on the Reds Radio Network.